When Cave met Julia Vicente, she was living quietly in one of the four-story houses on the hill which overlooks the harbor. People still gave her space. They knew her founding narrative. The loss of her brother and the subsequent prosecution for manslaughter. They knew more about those two events than the life that had followed. The long struggle to adjust to self-imposed exile on our side of things. The bouts of post-traumatic stress which made her work difficult. The disastrous marriages to bankers and minor celebrities. The failed film career. The eventual return to Autotelia to live quietly in a post-industrial port, which, though it reminded her daily of her tragedy, seemed at a safe remove from some other concept that frightened her more. She was a gaunt woman by then, tallish, full of an energy that rarely showed. A heavy smoker. She liked to walk in the gentrified dockyards, where art galleries were replacing ships and restaurants the old dock furniture. She had written two or three volumes of theater criticism and a successful novel. She had a daughter, three or four years old, from her third marriage. Cave, a cultural journalist with a broad remit, took her to restaurants she claimed she was no longer able to afford. In return, she showed him the town's prized possessions. A collection of early dual Kiminich watercolors of eviscerated horses and grieving women, and the municipal crematorium, the curious truncated cylinder of which was decorated on the outside with a wraparound mural like a 1920s woodcut, showing the dead silhouetted by the invisible sun of the afterlife. This is awful, Cave said. Isn't it? They got on well together. Then one morning she telephoned him and said, You don't ask me about my life. She was known to be difficult, and Cave had come to Autotelia to write a piece about someone else. He didn't want complications. He wanted his relationship with Julia to remain personal. More importantly, perhaps, he felt emotionally disqualified by the central event of her history. He felt he had nothing to offer. All of this made him wary. So he replied, No one likes to pry. Are you dishonest or only naive? she asked, and hung up. Perhaps an hour later he called her back. I'm sorry, he said. He thought she would put the phone down again, but instead she said, I don't see my brother anymore. That's a curious way to put it. I mean literally. For years afterwards I saw him almost every day. He wasn't here, obviously, he was dead. But I saw him. She still dreamed of the event itself, if she said that word could be used to describe what she remembered. But I don't see him anymore. He's invisible now. I don't even miss him. He's just one of the fictions that live here. She was silent for a moment. Then she said, I'm sorry, my daughter has woken up. Will you wait a moment while I see to her? Do you mind? Cave said he didn't mind, and for some time all he heard was the child's voice, thin and distant at the other end of the connection. He began to think Julia Vicente had forgotten him. Hello, he said. 
If the child had turned out to be ill, he should ring off and try later. Instead, he hung on, listening to that long, unassuageable, archaic complaint. She's always disoriented when she wakes up, Julia said when she returned to the phone. Always at a loss. For a moment she seemed both impatient and puzzled. Then she laughed. I'm her mother, she said, as if this wasn't just a new discovery but a new kind of fact.